Hello, and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad all of you are here, especially if you're new. Uh, Like Lauren said, we are going through a uh, miracles series, looking at some of the miracles of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at what I think is probably one of the most common ones as far as like one that is most widely taught and known. And so I, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. We're going to jump right into it real quick. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So again, this is a very popular uh, known miracle. Certainly, it was very well known to me. It was a very popular story, certainly to tell amongst kids. A very good kid story because there's a kid in it. And the kid kind of is a hero. He's the one that has a lunch, and Jesus uses his lunch, and, you know, the Sunday school growing up. And you can be that kid with your lunch and God and all the other things. It's a very, very popular story. And, and as I've been thinking about it all week, as, and this is just kind of the way that my brain works. I look at especially stories that are the most common, some of the most well-known. We think we know what they're about, but my guess is like there's... What's really going on here? Like, 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 just to really think, like, why, why mention this story? Why tell it this way? Why include some of the details? What's going on here? And what I think about is kind of what's going on and what the lesson is depends on who you're talking about. Because the crowd, they had one experience of that day. Um, the disciples that were with Jesus, they had a different experience. And then this kid, he had a completely different experience than them as well. And so this story kind of works in a whole lot of different angles depending on the perspective that you come from. And so I'll just bring this up. So some of my favorite kinds, one of my favorite genres of like TV shows or movies 
are where they do that, where they like, they'll, they'll take the same idea, the same story, and they'll tell it from different angles. Now, there's a, a comedy that was recently recommended to me, and I'm going to undersell it here because for me to recommend something, it's got to be at a high level. I'm not trying to recommend mediocre or just okay stuff to you. But it was recommended to me by my daughter, but I want to undersell it just in case she's watching and she'd be like, Dad, I thought you loved it. It was fine. It was good. But it's a show called After Party, and it's this comedy about a murder that happens at an after party after a high school reunion. And basically, the cop's trying to figure out what happened and is interviewing a different person, and every person is telling their own story. So you see all of these same things from different perspectives. In the meantime, you're trying to figure out. It's fine. It's fine. It's not great. And then there are a lot of movies like this, like gritty kind of dramas from the late 90s, early 2000s that were a lot of like this, right? You have this story, and then all of a sudden they would just randomly start telling this story, and then they would tell this story, and in the end, it all kind of becomes one story. Like, wow, right? It's... I mean, I just, I just like that concept. It's creative. I like, I like the creativity of it. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of walk through this story three different ways. Because we have the ability to kind of see all of it all at once. But I, what I want us to do is kind of look at this story from all three of those angles. What did the crowd experience that day? So what do they, what, what do they, what do they glean? What do they learn about Jesus? And then what about, what about the disciples? What what, what, what happened with them? And then, and then finish it up here with this kid. Because again, we have here in this story that um, they're hearing about Jesus. They're hearing about all these miracles that Jesus has done. And they're intrigued by it. They're intrigued by the healings. And so they start to just kind of follow. Kind of find, hey, I hear he's at this place with his disciples. And they start drifting towards him. No telling what they thought was going to happen that day. They didn't know what to expect, but they thought it would be something, something pretty cool. Something like, I bet he's going, to, something, something really, he's going to do something. He's going to say something. I'm intrigued about who he is. I'm intrigued about what he's going to do. And if, and if we were able to experience him, to see him, to encounter him, my guess is something miraculous, amazing is going to happen. And so they're standing around. They can see Jesus. They see his disciples. And... Um, and then suddenly, um, his disciples start kind of moving around the crowd. Hey, um, you, got any, you got anything to eat? You got anything to eat? Oh, hang on. You're like, oh, I don't got nothing to eat. And, and so the, you know, the disciples are trying to, trying to figure something out. You can tell that they're, they're you know, what's going on here? And now they, they, they're trying to, they're trying to what, are they, what are they trying to do? And the thing that we need to know about this crowd is that the people that were drawn to Jesus, the people that were um, in, in these sorts of crowds, the people who, who connected the most with Jesus, really were kind of the bottom of the, uh, the bottom rung of the ladder type of people. People who did not have a lot of resources. People who were kind of looked over by society. So by and large, this would have been a relatively poor crowd. And they likely would not have had anything there with them to eat and may not have eaten that day. Maybe they weren't going to. Or if they were, it was just going to be a very small amount at the end of the day. And so there's all this talk about, about dinner and do we have enough to feed. And they, but they don't really know what's going on. And next thing you know, they hear the disciples and Jesus say, hey, everybody have a seat. And according to this story, there are 5,000 men there, which means, counting the, the, the women and children there, it was probably north of 10,000 people there that day, just kind of all sitting out here now in this field. 
And so if you imagine it, and again, they didn't have like, you know, the, we're going to put the camera on Jesus and put him on the screen, big screen so everybody can see him. He was not mic'd up, right? So who knows what's happening? So depending on how close you are to Jesus and how much you can see, you don't have any, certainly at the back, you don't have any real sense of what the miracle is. You don't really necessarily even know that there were, there was, it started with this one kid's lunch. You see Jesus, you see his disciples, you've heard this kind of murmuring, and then he tells you to sit down, and next thing you know, a huge, massive amount of food is being distributed all over everywhere. No idea what they started with. They, they don't have any idea. All they know is, I came here poor. I came here isolated. I came here hungry. I was intrigued about Jesus, and he fed me today. Now, depending again, my guess is, is that over the next day or so, the story trickled from the crowd, from the people who had the closest view of what was happening all the way out to the back. But for a lot of them, at least initially, what happened was, I came to Jesus and he met one of my most significant needs. And I want you to hear that. I want you to, I want you to feel that deeply. That from the crowd, what they learned was that Jesus cared Jesus cares about needs. He, care, he cared about their needs. And Jesus, he cares about your needs. He, he cares about what is going on with you. And this is of incredible importance. And again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We are just kind of talking about the narratives of miracle stories in general. They all kind of have this same sort of pattern. A need arises. Jesus has an encounter with people and he meets the need. And so that is kind of a part of every story. But I want to make sure we get this. We'll talk about it a little bit every week because it is of incredible importance for you to understand that whatever's going on with you, whatever your need is, Jesus sees it and, it and it matters to him. There's nothing in your life too trivial or too mundane, too earthy, right? Too regular, too common that God doesn't genuinely care about it. We, um, we're going through a lot of transition in our family right now. We just yesterday were at John Brown, where my oldest daughter, Maylee, graduated with her master's degree in counseling, and we were able to celebrate that with her yesterday, which was really cool, and it is the first of two graduations that we will experience, because next Saturday, our middle daughter, Lauren, she's graduating from the University of Arkansas uh, with, with her degree, and they're both getting jobs, which is great. Right? I mean, we've been, this kind of thing we've been praying about. It's like, God, we let them finish, right? Sometimes, sometimes I don't know how, how far back it was for you. Sometimes that last semester can be rough. Sometimes the last few weeks of the last semester can be rough. Get, God, get them over the finish line. God, get it done. Let me get a good job. Let them find a good living situation. Let them find people. We've been doing a lot of praying, uh, mom and dad have been around what's next for our kids. And it is an incredible comfort to me to know that the God of the universe genuinely cares. Because sometimes I've read, I've, read, I've, read this, I've read articles like this before. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Where they'll ask the question, does the vastness of the universe disprove the existence of God? 
And the idea of that being, like if all there really was was this world and there really wasn't anything past it and all the lights in the sky were just for us and there was all this, you could imagine that there's a God who's kind of kind of got this and it's his, it's his toy, it's his little plaything. But the bigger the universe gets and the more overwhelming it is in their mind, in the mind of this author and people like it, the less likely it is that there's a God that genuinely is interested in in earth or in you specifically. And I read that and I think, man, you're just, you're just, you're coming about this the complete wrong way. Because the bigger the universe gets, the bigger God gets. And in fact, the more impressive and amazing it is that the God of the universe does care about you. It becomes more significant to think about a God that oversees not this, but all of this is also interested in you. I was, um, uh, this is a, a small group that I had a, a, a while back. I was praying over, was praying for the food. And someone in the group said, that's kind of weird. I'm like, what's weird? To ask God to bless the food. What's, what's weird about that? It's like, I mean, then you got other things going on. I mean, this is kind of like, like, like big picture issues going on, like, you know, like the, the fate of nations, maintaining cosmic balance in the universe. Is he really interested in whether or not this food is like, like, like what, what is, we, we got this. I think, and he's like, I want to reserve my, if I want to pray, I'm going to reserve my, he's a big picture guy. I want to reserve big picture ideas. And it, it, it's not often that I get stumped, right? I was a little stunned by like, well, okay, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. But, but it really kind of then allows to have a conversation about a personal God, about a God who genuinely is interested in who we are. Because my guess is, while many of you probably would not verbalize that thought, to a pastor right after he has prayed for the food. <laughs> My guess is there are a lot of us that feel that way. Where you feel so insignificant and that your needs are so insignificant that a big God wouldn't care. And if we learn anything about Jesus coming into our world and the way that he behaved while he was here, I hope that it can sink in with you in a deep way. That the God of the universe genuinely cares about who you are and what is going on in your life. So the disciples, they've been hanging around with Jesus and they like to talk about this, that we talk about, hey, we want to follow Jesus. And that's a metaphorical thing for us, but for them it was very literal. Jesus is here and I'm here. He goes here, I follow him. Now I'm here, right? I'm following Jesus. And so now they've been they've seen Jesus do all these miracles and these healings, and they find themselves here in this countryside. And then suddenly a crowd emerges, and they probably have enough familiarity to know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to do some teaching. He's going to talk to them, and maybe some of the sick people are going to gather up around him at some point, and we're going to do some healing. But suddenly, again, this story is told in all four different Gospels, and you kind of get little different pieces of it as you put all of the story together. So the crowd has been there for a while. Jesus has done some teaching, and now it's getting later and later. 
And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, guys, what are you going to do about this? We got to feed these people. We got we to gotta feed them. What do you mean? What do you mean we got to feed them? Really, it was just like, no, man, we got to. We can't, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta let him go. Cause at one point, this one of the disciples says to him, he's like, listen, you've got, to, we, we gotta, get, we gotta get rid of him. Cause it's about to get late. And then if, if, if we stay here late, if we make it till dinner time, then they're gonna expect us to feed them. And if you've ever had a kid's birthday party, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know the window for the birthday party, two to four. <laughs> and two to four, two to four, maybe you can go to 4.30, two to four, right? They've already eaten lunch. You don't have to feed them dinner. Whoop, send them on their way, right? And this, the later it gets in the day, the more obligation they're going to feel like we're hosting this event. Even though they didn't really invite anybody, they're not really hosting, but it's a very hospitable culture. And so we feel some obligation to them if they're going to be here. So we need to send them home. And she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. You tell me what you're going to do to feed them. And it says that Jesus was testing them. So you got Philip, who's like, man, I got to do the math on here. It's like, okay, well, 20, 20, 20, 5,000, 10,000, 10,000, This is like more money than any of us have. It takes like all six months worth of working to even just to give everybody like a, like a nibble. There's no way that we could do this. And meanwhile, Andrew, another one of the disciples, he's like, well, I, I got some ideas. He's walking around. You got any food? No, you got any food? And all of a sudden, this kid's like, I got some food. He's like, great. Whoop. Like, and I imagine... Like, what happened? Like what, what, like, what happened? These are the questions that 9 and 10-year-old Charlie used to have. And I learned very early, uh, church was not a place to ask questions. <laughs> Certainly not the sorts of questions that I had, right? 10-year-old Charlie's questions were a little out of bounds. So, Charlie, you can just keep them up. Did he just take the kid? Did, did he just take the kid's lunch? Great kid, and just take it and walk over to Jesus. Like I don't imagine it that way. Like I imagine Andrew bringing the kid and his lunch. I've got this kid and his lunch. Not I took this kid's lunch, right? But the idea is like he's going around trying to find is it, how much food is out there, and my guess is to some degree is like all I could find was enough food to feed one little kid. And I've this, but, but what is this? And it says that Jesus brought this up to them to test them. And it, and it really begs the question, how, how would they have passed that test? What, what would have, what would have, what have passed? I, I'd imagine the way the story is told that they failed this test, right? Philip's doing math on how much money it would cost, and Andrew's taking small children's food. That was not, that wasn't it. But there was something that Jesus was wanting to do. There was a perspective that he was wanting to have. You see this need, you see this need, you know who I am, what do you think you need to do to make this work? Because I think what Jesus was wanting to communicate to them, and I think did through this story, is that from the disciples' perspective, what they learned is that Jesus wants to work through you. He wants to work through you. He wants to, he, he wanted to do this miracle through them. He wanted to teach them something about dependence and trust and about their role. Because again, they're literally following Jesus. But eventually that's going to come to an end. Jesus isn't going to be here anymore. And it was going to be up to them. And he's got to train them for what that means. So I've just been really, this is kind of the point 
for me personally that I feel like I've been meditating on a lot this week as I've been thinking about this passage and kind of what it means to me. And I was like, has Jesus ever tested me in, a very, in, this, in this same way? And I think about a couple of really significant times in my journey, and I'm going to talk about them too specifically. Um, some of them you've, you know, you probably have heard before if you've been around for a while, but in the January of 2006, I got fired from a church. My, was my good friend was the lead pastor. He fired me, told me everything that was ever wrong with the church was my fault. And he said, you are not good at this. You never will be good at this. And you need to consider, you need to pick a completely different career. And um, that'll discourage you, right? And I imagine, kind of thinking about this passage and this story, I imagine Jesus going, all right. How are you going to get you a job? What, what are you going to do next? Just kind of saying, all right, so, so now what are you going to do? Or I think about the infamous date in March of 2020 when suddenly large group gatherings are generally frowned upon. And, pardon the phrase, I'm not trying to offend anyone, when a large portion of your business model is built around the large group gathering, it's a challenge. And not just simply that, but the social and spiritual and emotional toil that the next couple of years, and even still, I think, the aftershocks to today. And Jesus is like, well, how are you going to lead a church in a pandemic? I'm interested to hear. What book you read? Pandemic Church Living. Remember that seminary class you took? And how to manage a church in a worldwide catastrophe? Just pull, the, pull out your notes from that class. What you got? What are you going to do? And I imagine Jesus asking that sort of question. Not necessarily then, but just kind of in light of this, right? But the question really is, can you trust me? What are, what are you going to do? And then you take a step back and you're like, I can't. I can't, I can't do anything. I need you. What can I do? What, what, what would you like for me to do? I need to trust you, but tell me how you want to work in me to make this happen. It's not like I didn't do anything. I mean, I was looking for a job, sent out resumes, all these things, and you took some steps here to try to manage things over the last couple of years, but not under some belief that somehow I had the ability to manage the circumstances, like somehow I can feed 10,000 people, or somehow I can... Do the like the when when crisis really happens, like somehow I have the ability to manage it. I don't, and I hope that when you experience a crisis or some sort of real significant transition, I know that you ask yourself this question: What am I going to do about this? And you have a very self-reliant sort of attitude: What am I going to do about this? And, and a lot of you will come up with a plan, but just imagine instead of you asking yourself that: What am I going to do about this? If Jesus asks, hey, so what are you going to do about this? That if we imagine that and we think, well, this is a test. How am I going to trust in what Jesus is going to do through me? Because he is the one that manages the crisis. He is the one that can feed 5,000 people. 
He is the one that can bring hope to hopeless situations, fix the broken, make old things new, bring dead things to life. And so there is a sense in which every crisis point and major transition in our life is a test of sorts. Where Jesus is asking, what are you going to do about it? He's like, not, not me, Jesus. What are, you, what are you going to do about it? And what would you like me to do? Because the miracle, the miracle happens when Jesus steps in. So the crowd is learning about Jesus and his compassion. The disciples are learning what it really means to trust and depend on Jesus and to let him use them to do what he's going to do. Meanwhile, you got this kid. And again, I don't know how many of you grew up going to church, how many of you heard this story when you were a kid, or how many of you were so involved in church you heard every story dozens of times. And how many of you have like this memories of this, right? But that feel to me like... The story, this story was told as if this kid was like at home and the kid's like, well, go have a great day. And mom gives him a lunch and now this kid's completely out on his own, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about first century Israel parenting styles. They're helicopter parents, free range parents. I don't know, but I do not imagine that a kid was just kind of turned loose and suddenly ended up in a crowd of 10,000 people. Imagine he's a little panic as a dad to think that that might be what happened to this kid. But regardless, whether he was alone, he was with friends, he was with family, you know, he's out here with his lunch, with some people, and now finds himself in this large crowd. And there's Jesus, and he probably has his own understanding and knowledge about who Jesus is, what he's done, and why we're here, and why we're interested in this. And you're waiting you're listening to what's being said. You're thinking maybe something cool is going to happen. And you got your lunch. And um, suddenly, one of the disciples comes to you. He's like, anybody got any food? And he's like, I got this lunch. You need my lunch? You know, there's two kinds of kids. There's, there's the sweet kind and then there's the not sweet kind, right? There's, a kid, there's one kid that's going to take his lunch and put it under his robe. Right, I, know. I, got, I, got, I got nothing. I ain't sharing. And then there's a sharing. Yeah, you can have my, you can have my lunch. I, I got, I, I got a lunch. And I would imagine in that moment, the handful of other people around him who probably also had a little something to eat. I don't know what they're thinking. Right? It's really unlikely in ten thousand plus people that only one kid had a lunch. Um, again, most of them were probably very, very hungry. So this kid, compar- comparatively was probably doing a little better. Their fame was doing a little better than most of the people out there. And even in that, in, the, in this overwhelming crowd of people, you know, he probably learned to hold on to what was his. There were a lot of resources out there. But Andrew asked, can I have, well, yeah, yeah, sure. And, and, and next thing you know, he is here with Andrew, with Jesus. And like I said, the crowd didn't really get to see too much about what Jesus was, was doing. The disciples, they got to see it. And now this kid, he's got a front row seat. People in the back of the crowd are probably not really sure where this food is coming from. This little kid did. 
He got to see it. He got to see Jesus take his little bit amount of lunch and pray and start to distribute it. And his one little moment of a tender-hearted little boy, tender-hearted little girl, gives his lunch. And what he sees happen is that Jesus takes it and feeds 10 plus thousand people with it. So what does this kid come to understand that day? Is that Jesus will do a lot. A lot with what you give him. I mean, I can only imagine what this boy is, is seeing and what he's feeling as he's watching Jesus just kind of distribute it. And then the disciples, they go and they gather it all up and there is a hundred times more left over than what they started with. It says they ate all that they wanted. And my guess is most of those 10,000 plus people had very few opportunities in any given year to eat until they didn't want anymore. They probably ate enough to kill the hunger, but not enough to eat until they didn't even want anymore. And this little boy is just watching his one moment of generosity and sacrifice multiply in an inconceivable way to do something big. And it is one of my deepest desires as your friend, as your pastor, that you would genuinely believe this idea. That what you have, when you give it to God, it will have a multiplying impact in the world well beyond even what you're capable of imagining. I think about this with you guys and I think about this with our church that, you know, we're not a big church, we're not a small church, kind of about a medium-sized church, you know, way bigger churches, not one of the biggest churches around here, but most churches are pretty small, under, you know, 80-ish people total probably. Um, but I really do think, I think I'll use this phrase, I think we punch above our weight class. I think the impact that we're able to have in the world far exceeds what we have. And I think about this really largely in terms of a lot of the missionaries and people that we have sent out from our church that, or that go to our church that we're able to support. I think about a ministry that used to be called the CMM that is now called VIA. And we have several families who have been on staff with them, are currently on staff with them, who have this outsized impact in the world. We support a, f a handful of these people and I'm getting emails and letters and things all the time about, okay, we, we, just, we just hosted this training of pastors in this country and there were 800 pastors there. We hosted this, 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 this thing in this other country and there were 500 missionaries there. And we support them. And what happens is, is that the impact of the gospel is being carried out and sent to equip hundreds or thousands of other people that are then multiplied out there into dozens of countries. I think about my friend Casey Morgan, who 
probably very few of you know, but came from our church who has been in Malaysia for a few years and has this really cool, he, he has where his family lives, but then they also have this apartment that they use to support missionaries. So if you, need a, if you need a weekend break, if you need some counseling, if you need some help, if you just need a Sabbath rest of some kind, you can come stay there and they'll kind of help you, encourage you. And hundreds of missionaries in dozens of countries have come and found some healing and a little bit of life there that they can then equip and send back out. They just asked for some money to kind of, they, they're having to switch apartments to help furnish this thing. So we give them a couple of thousand dollars to help them furnish this place. And suddenly hundreds of missionaries are encouraged that are then to go to a dozen or so countries and impact thousands. I mean, I've just had a great privilege this last week. I just got back from Wyoming. I was there for a few days and there was a little bit of curiosity and I think some hope that I might would come back a cowboy. <laughs> I am not a cowboy. I do not have cowboy in me. But I had a great time out there with a college ministry. Uh, I serve on the national board of a college ministry. And I was out there with a particular campus. Talking to a young couple who just gotten married. And was going through some challenges. And I got to encourage them. A couple that had been serving in ministry for seven or eight years and starting to ask some bigger questions and trying to figure out who they are. And I got to spend a lot of time encouraging them. This young guy, almost straight out of college, just trying to, trying to figure out who he is and how he wants to, to, to make a difference for God. And I, and I get to do this. And this is just one of several things that I get to do like this in a year. And Mark gets to do several things like that in any given year. And just the small amount of money and support that we have here has a multiplying impact in hundreds of missionaries, both in the U.S. and in the world, that has a, an outsized impact on tens of thousands of people. And it begins with you deciding, I think, I think I'd like to make the coffee today. I think I want to help on the front door today. I think I want to help in the nursery today. I want to give what God has given me and I want to give it back. And God takes what you give him, a bit of time, a bit of energy, a bit of service, a bit of money, and has a multiplying impact in the world with it. And I want to say this again. I desperately want you to believe that. If, I want you to understand, and because sometimes we can feel so insignificant. We can feel very small in a very big world and a very big universe. But I promise you, there will come a time in the next life for certain that you'll be able to see all the lives that were impacted by your giving, all the lives that were ultimately impacted because of your serving. You'll be able to see it someday. My hope and my prayer is that you'll be able to believe it this day. And that you will take great consideration then on how you want your life to be used. Am I going to take the things that I have, the time that I have, the skills that I have, the resources that I have, and give them to God and stand back in amazement as he multiplies that in a world that is desperate for him? Let me pray. 
Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast, and you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.